You can tuck into this, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to the Chicana Mother Work podcast. Um, we're here today with the editors of Revolutionary Mothering. Um, before we get into um, our interview with the, um, with the editors, we're going to um, have our dedication of the podcast. So um, before we begin, um, we want to dedicate this podcast to Afini Shakur, who passed away on May 2nd, 2016. She was a Black Panther, a political activist, entrepreneur, philanthropist. Um, and an important aspect about her and the work that she did was um, she was incarcerated during her pregnancy with her son, Tupac Shakur, for conspiracy to bomb public buildings um, in 1969. So this was in the era of uh, Black Power in the Civil Rights era. Um, she represented herself in court and she was acquitted of all charges and one month later she gave birth to her son um, and he wrote um, the song Dear Mama for her where he talks about the complexities of being raised by a low-income single black mother um, so it's it's a heartbreaking song um, but he portrays her with um, a lot of love and a lot of honor so um, Afini Shakur we will continue to collectively uplift your legacy thank you and rest in power Today we have um, with us in the studio uh, the editors of Revolutionary Mothering. We're Chicana Mother Work. We were so excited to um, first, you know, reach out to them, and um, so we were just so excited when they agreed to be on the show. They're here in LA um, for a book tour for their book, which was recently published, called uh, Revolutionary Mothering: Love on the Front Lines. And um, we have uh, China and uh, Maya here in the studio, and we have Alexis on the phone with us. Alexis, are you there? Alexis? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, so we wanted to... Um, we would love to talk about your um, edited volume. Um, so I want to read for our listeners who might not be familiar with this book yet. Um, I highly encourage you to buy this book uh, from your favorite local bookstore, <laughs> support local business. Um, so I just want to read um, part of what's on the book jacket on, on the back of the book. So um, just to give you a sense of what this book is about. Inspired by the legacy of radical and queer black feminists of the 1970s and 80s, revolutionary mothering places marginalized mothers of color at the center of a world of necessary transformation. The challenges we face as movements working for racial, economic, reproductive, gender, and food justice, as well as anti-violence, anti-imperialist, and queer liberation are the same challenges that many mothers face every day. Revolutionary Mothering is a movement-shifting anthology committed to birthing new worlds full of faith and hope for what we can raise up together. Um, so, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, and I think maybe, in, you know, I, so I read the book as soon as it came out. I couldn't wait to read it. I, I wrote all over it. Um, I was so excited. Um, I'm part of um, a Revolution Mothering reading group. So we've had two book discussions so far and um, kind of with other mothers of color who um, are also, um, you know, committed to social justice, whether through, you know, we have um, an educator, a lawyer, um, you know, PhD students. So um, all mothers of color are dedicated to social, uh, to social justice in you know their various uh, spaces that they are that they are in, and um, so I read the book, and I guess one of the questions that came to mind was, well, first, you know, how did the three of you meet, or and maybe that's kind of tied to um, how did the idea for a revolutionary mothering book come about? And I know this was kind of discussed a little bit in the introduction and um, preface. Well, okay, hi, I'll. Um I'll begin. Um, okay, cool. So um, I had my daughter in 2007, and when she was six months old, we decided we wanted to go to Chiapas, Mexico. So uh, we took a road trip down to Mexico, and on the way we stopped at this conference in, uh, by Insight, um, 
many of you probably know Andy Smith's work with Insight. So we stopped at the conference in Denver, and on the third day, I was in this workshop um, that was all mothers of color, and it was called Revolutionary Motherhood. And it was amazing, and it was hosted by uh, Young Women's United, who are also featured in the book. And I sat in there for two hours, and it was really an amazing workshop of like about 15 mothers and their children from everything from like, you know, a couple of months old all the way up to like teenagers, and all of us talking about what revolutionary motherhood meant to us. And um, that was the first time I'd heard the phrase. I want to give much praises to, uh, to Young Women United for bringing that to me, and um, was just incredibly inspiring. So after that, I went down to Chiapas, and we went to the, um, the Women's Encuentro in 2007. And in that spring of being in Chiapas, I was like, I want to do a zine based on revolutionary motherhood. So I put out a call for submissions. And um, and this was you and Alexis? This is me. I got, I got in touch with Alexis. Um, she's one of the first people I got in touch with to, talk, to, do, this, to do the zine. And so... Um, Alexis contributed a poem, China contributed to it, Vicky Law contributed to it, um, a member of Young Women's United, Michaela, contributed to, contribute to, um, to the zine as well, as well as a, a few other people. Um, and then the next year, Alexis got in touch with me. We, we had been communicating uh, via online since, to, since I had since 2006, when I had first been pregnant and was working in the West Bank. Um, and we was con- talking online, and, and she said, let's do a book based on you know, revolutionary motherhood. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the, sort of the book aspect came about for it. Um, and then about a year and a half after, we were, we were still in the brainstorming, working through the kind of visionary, kind of trying to get a solidified idea of what we wanted to do. Uh, I had been working with China as well on some other zine projects, um, and I was like, let's bring China into this because China has so much knowledge about like the alternative mothering literary world, because mm-hmm. um, she's about, about a generation-ish before me, you know? And so, and she also is, in, um, well, someone has to be like down to earth when working on a book. Like someone has to actually like hit that, de- <laughs> like, make sure that we hit deadlines and like make That's spreadsheets. Very important. <laughs> yeah. All the visionary work in the world will get you only so far. Very true. So, and then the three of us worked on it for about five years. So it was about seven years in the making altogether. Oh wow! That brought this, and we've only uh, we did almost all of the work online. Um, we, the three of us, met for the first time in the same room in 2014, in the spring of 2014, after PM Press had already accepted the book. Mm-hmm. And then we met the next time, all three of us, when the book was already out and we were started the, the book launch in New York. Wow. Very exciting. <laughs> and, um, and Alexis, I was wondering, too, with... Um, how you became involved with uh, the Revolution Mothering um, Project. Um, how do you see your, um, well, your academic research and your dissertation, as you talk about in the book, is very much connected to, um, obviously, it's informed the work you've done here with Revolutionary Mothering. So how do you see, um, how do you see the connections between your research work on Black mothers and then Revolutionary Mothering? Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of what Maya and I would talk about online would be kind of these intersections. So Maya definitely being all over the world, interfacing with different mothers and also being in the process, you know, of mothering her amazing daughter. And I was in the archives really looking at how were black feminists talking about the idea of mothering in this particular time. Mm-hmm. the time that we would now have to call like the dawn of neoliberalism mm-hmm. when black mothering, um, but also mothers all over the third world, um, immigrant mothers are being really criminalized as a way to push this idea that there should be no social services, right? That there mm-hmm. should be like complete individualism and um, corporate control. And so I was interested in how revolutionary it was for black feminists to be centering terminology around mothering, around living room, around the kitchen table in their literary movement as a counter narrative to this story that we get told about life that um, 
makes neoliberalism seem like it makes sense when of course it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. to destroy the planet that we live on or at least make it unlivable for ourselves Mm -hmm. so um so yeah that that was the connection and i i really feel grateful to maya and to china and to all the contributors of the book because i i think it makes an intergenerational conversation possible between some of those earlier thinkers and then some people who um are writing right now and of course some of those earlier thinkers are are still writing and are still thinking but yeah it it was a way to have for me my work be grounded in a different way so it wasn't just about a particular historical moment Mm -hmm. but I, I really feel blessed to have been able to be in this intellectual process of thinking about what does mothering mean with mothers revolutionary mothers who have been thinking and publishing about it like Maya and China and then like all of these other folks who who write in the book. So it's for for me it does have to do with a community accountable intellectual practice where our research doesn't just become something that's um that's about the communities that we love, but it's actually a process that we can engage with the people that we love, the communities that we love in this case, you know, sister comrades, people who I admire so much. And I think that's one of the things that um, I really loved about the Revolutionary Mothering book and the project and um, this kind of um, this framework, this what it is, it's about, or at least the way that I was thinking of it is it's this is about collective liberation. And this really pushes and so the work that you've been doing with um, Revolutionary Mothering, you know, it challenges that neoliberal uh that neoliberal framework of like an individual making, you know, producing scholarly knowledge or knowledge production. Right. And, um, and this kind of, you know, pushes against that in so many ways in terms of even just the collective of the three of you together as editors, but also the contributors. Um, so I really do see this project as trying to, um, challenging that and building community you know in an accessible way and you know so even with so uh, I have another question related to um the tour or what has the response been so far on the tour or since the book release but um so that's what I really love about this um this project and how uh, Alexis the work that you've done in the archive you are bringing it out for for the community for accessibility um for justice you know, decoloniality, like all of these things in a real tangible way. Um, and then, so for um, China, um, so since the, so, so since it was um, Maya and then Alexis, so um, what were, so what were your thoughts or perspective um, joining as the editor, as this project was coming together, like as the third editor? Okay, I mean, maybe I can start with a little bit of my background. Um, that I started my first zine in 1990, which was called The Future Generation. And it was a zine for subculture parents, kids, friends, and others when my daughter was one year old. So she was born in 1988. So this year she's 28. Um, and uh, I am a low income and working class white single mother from Baltimore, Maryland, although I've moved around a lot. So, um, so, um, so my first book came out when I was 40, that was an anthology of the zine. And then as I became more of an empty nest, even as my daughter was a teenager, when I started to get more free hands, um, I got involved in childcare activism, um, like with the Radical Child Care Collective. And, um, and so the second book, um, I quoted it with Vicky Law, which was Don't Leave Your Friends Behind, Concrete Ways to Support Parents oh, awesome. and Social yeah. Justice Movements. <laughs> and that also started out of a zine. We did a workshop together. We're like, what are we going to call it? I was like, don't leave your friends behind. Um, I think because we were everybody was getting left behind. I mean, it was something mm-hmm. like basic. And then, yeah. and so then it was like zines, and then it evolved into a book. So I had that experience in an anthology, um, which I think it's so funny when Maya described me as down to earth because we are quite a team of dreamers, and uh, there's very few people that would describe me as down to earth. And I tried to, I tried to get the lessons that I learned a lot from Vicky, like how she was the one who really put things together, you know. Um, and so I tried to keep those lessons from doing it once and then being like, okay, we did this, you know, like, I'll remember, like, you know, now I'm going to be, like, more together. <laughs> but I'm always working on that. Um, 
but I really, really enjoy that. And I do feel it. it's because like I have, you know, I'm trying to lend my free time. I'm trying to lend um, what I have to offer to make a better world to support this such important vision. And so getting to just email, like I like emailing with contributors and like trying to encourage people or bug people a little bit like, hey, how's it going? You know, mm -hmm. because I know just from my own path, um, um, I guess I have so many insecurities and I know what that feels like. And I really believe like, uh, coming from background in zines, like like how it's so important to make our own media and how stories are so important. Um, so I like to be on the nurturing end. It's less scary when you see somebody else's brilliance and you can tell them this is so important. Um, it feels really good. You know, it's scarier um, with your own writing, putting it out in the world. So it's just mm -hmm. like, I love that. And I think, um, yeah, Maya saw me as a anthology editor on another zine compilation. So she saw kind of how I operate it. Like, I think I'm really committed, I guess, to speak well of myself. Um, I'm far from perfect and um, just learning so much. Like, I always have learning curve. But um, so with this third book entering it, like Maya asked me um, if I wanted to do it. And I really thought about it, you know, because I knew also, <laughs> I think from doing another anthology, I know how it takes over your life and I know how it takes a really long time. And so I had to think about it because my daughter is getting older and I want to, you know, work on publishing like creative writing, like a novel or just different things, you know, mm -hmm. away from a mothering topic. But the thing is, this book is so incredibly necessary. Mm -hmm. And all my experience as a low-income single radical mother has just shown me over and over again um, how most radical mother writing keeps being like white dominated, middle class dominated, partner dominated, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then knowing like Alexis and Maya, like I continue to be in awe, in awe of them. And so to get to join this project, I mean, it wound up just super inspiring me because in some ways, like, yeah, I'd like to leave motherhood behind. Like, even though I love my daughter, she's awesome. She's in the next neighborhood next to me. Like, she's the most important person in my life, you know. But just as being, like, middle-aged and experiencing being a somewhat young mother, so now I have freedom to explore myself, you know. Um, and there is so much pain. There's so much pain and oppression also involved with mothering, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but this project kind of brought it back to me also as a place of healing um, and a place of like revolution and a place of um, like, I'm getting nourished on this tour and I'm getting like inspired and I'm seeing like everything we dreamed of. It's all so real. Everything mm -hmm. we wanted for the book, you know, meeting you, like meeting this, this space, I mean, it's so inspiring. So I guess that's a long, I'll stop now. <laughs> oh, no, I don't even just, know if I answered the yeah, question. Yeah, no, that's, that's, no, I mean, <laughs> I think like even from a different format of going from like zines to like a physical book mm -hmm. and what that process entails and even the, um, the process of, uh, you know, having the idea, getting a book deal, you know, sending out a call for papers. So I think that kind of, um, and then what you mentioned earlier, China, about um, how you kept seeing the need or the necessity for this, because, um, you know, in in terms of like women of color um, or I'm familiar, I'm more familiar with like women of color feminism just broadly. But even there, even though there are so many women of color mothers, like queer mm -hmm. women of color mothers or even, sing, you know, single women of color mothers that um, that that focus solely on motherhood, mm -hmm. it, there really has it hasn't been at least assembled or kind of presented in this way that this what this book is doing or what this book is contributing to like this long history and um and oh but i mean that's another reason why um i know i was reading um in alexis's piece alexis's piece about uh, the research that she has done on black mothers and um so you know again it's just so incredibly necessary because even you know on the car ride here um uh, and i were talking about how still every single day there are still micro and macro aggressions against like mothers but especially mothers of color where um the work is still the labor of mothering is still so invisible in just pretty much every structural aspect of our everyday lives and it's exhausting <laughs> it's so exhausting but um but you know in a similar way i've been so um ex inspired by this book and um so i was wondering um i, I know I noticed that in the original call for papers, the book was originally called This Bridge Called My Baby, and then the title changed to Revolutionary Mothering. So I was just wondering, um, you know, Alexis, China, and Maya, um, 
what was kind of the decision process behind changing the name or did that change the way you were looking at the project or like just what were what was kind of the thoughts behind that I would say um, originally we had we had put this bridge called my baby out there really just um, because we love the anthology this bridge called my back and we definitely saw this anthology project in that tradition and um, the people who we attracted with that call were people who some of some of whom really had loved that anthology some of whom may have not heard about it but we I mean, we looked at it, we looked at it up to even when we were making the last framing document. Like we looked at like, well, what were the decisions they made and how did they structure this and how did they create these different sections? Because we felt like our anthology was in that tradition, but speaking back in a particular way, because as um, China has pointed out, this bridge called My Back, there's writing about mothers, but it's really more in a daughter's voice. Mm. as these women of color think back to their maternal legacies and we are thinking about it from the mother's voice so we thought they really could speak really directly to each other Mm -hmm. across generations um but really the reason that we ultimately changed it is because this bridge called my back actually is back in print and has been reissued actually the exact same time as revolutionary mothering which is so exciting for us and such good news and really great but because the way that publishing works the bookstores can only see the very beginning of a title the beginning of our title is oh. the same as, as the title. <laughs> so um I see. so we talked to Sheree Maraga and she was really you know excited and supportive of our project but you know also encouraged us to get a different name so that <laughs> it have its own space in the imagination and yes. so when we had that conversation, we kind of went back to this idea about, okay, well, the revolutionary motherhood, but really with this focus on action that had become a major part of the focus of our book, Mothering, mm. as a set of possible actions, and really also as an intervention against motherhood as a form of status that is has been exclusive and has excluded, actually, the people that we're most accountable to with this book. and the ideas of mothering that we're most excited by for the book. So it was, it was a relatively recent change to, um, to the name, but I think that it was all perfect because it it really does. It did allow us to clarify what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think revolutionary mothering being the title has made it useful. I mean, we've already seen it become more useful as a term that different people have been using across gender and across, um, all sorts of backgrounds to describe what they do um, beyond this idea of trying to have to prove who we are. Mm -hmm. And that really, um, and to kind of have a follow-up question on that, um, you speak to this also in um, Mother Ourselves, a Black Queer Feminist Genealogy for Radical Mothering, which is um, in this book um, for our listeners who might have not have had a chance to read yet. So, so Alexis, you, that's what, um, so the title revolutionary mothering, mothering as something, as you're, as you were saying, something that's, um, an active category. And then you, in this, in this essay that you wrote, you also kind of, um, talk about how the category of mothering should be expansive and not just something that's determined by, you know, biology or, you know, or some kind of essentialist, um, uh, identity. And so I wanted to, so I um, absolutely love the essay you have here in this book. And um, so I wanted to ask um, Alexis or China and Maya as well. Um, so one of the questions that resonated, so you're talking specifically about um, black, queer, radical mothering. Um, you know, you're talking, you're placing this in the context of what we, we currently live in, um, you know, an anti, among anti-blackness and um in this age of uh, you know, neoliberalism, neoliberalism. So, um, and a question that you kind of pose is, how do we mother children who aren't supposed to exist? And um, so I wanted, so maybe even from what's happened so far since the book release or the book tour, um, how, you know, what might be a way we can, um, what kind of practices can we have to you know, when we know, or black mothers and mothers of color know our children are not supposed to exist. 
so how do we practice how do we practice this or kind of you know take or take mothering away from that essentialist identity to something much more expansive and transformative yeah well i i mean i can start but i definitely would love to hear what maya and china have to say about this i think some of what we've experienced on the tour to me feels like examples of this so we really wanted our tour to be motherful and we take that term motherful from the sisterhood of black single mothers um, in Brooklyn in the 1980s. They were pushing back against this idea that they, they, they were quote unquote fatherless families. And they said, what, like, what kind of word is fatherless? Why not motherful? Right. And the, just the abundance of what it means for all these mothering practices to exist and for their children to be raised um, in a way where they have access to all this mothering, whether it's from their biological mothers or also from other people who collaborate with them to create family. So we were really inspired by that. And motherful is just such a cool word. And it, it just invokes this abundant celebratory um, counter to exactly that idea, you know, that I'm talking about of like, okay, well, if we're the people who stand for support the lives of, of people who aren't supposed to exist, or if we are the people who aren't supposed to exist and we're making more of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And I think that for me, the way to counter that does have to do with more public celebratory spaces that are that are motherful. I mean, I think even like taking over Red Emma's bookstore in Baltimore and being like, this is going to be a space of collaging and coloring and we're going to play different music and, and it's, it's going to be like kids in the center, um, which is, a, I, I hear, a rare thing in that physical space, but maybe it's something that will be more frequent now. Um, I think that, that that's one step towards it. And we've hoped that the events that we've done on our tour can just be spaces where mothering, which part, part of the ways that it's been demonized and criminalized have been used to isolate people, right? And there are so many mothering actions that happen where you can't see what's happening. It's just like the, the quote unquote invisible labor that makes life possible every single second of every single day. Mm -hmm. But to make it more public and shared and to have spaces that are celebratory and visible and interactive and just the opposite of isolating, you know, the opposite of the forms of marginalization that we've been forced to survive. And not to say that just doing that in a, in a public event changes that entire dynamic forever. But I think we do have to have new embodied memories of what it looks like and what this type of collectivity looks like. And the types of collectivity that I definitely know mothers of color have been organizing for and enacting and using to survive for many, 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 many generations, but that are attacked by neoliberalism and the, the dividing of people and the, um, even gentrification practices of pushing people further away from each other, pushing people of color further away from each other. So, um, so yeah, our motherful events are just one way of saying that we hope that people can make this motherful reality a public space, a public type of life-giving set of practices, um, a form of protest and a form of celebration and a form of retraining our bodies and our spirits of our minds and our minds to be like, we should exist. It's amazing that we exist and we can celebrate it. Our whole lives can actually be a celebration of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, um, that's the part, kind of these things that you're speaking to. Um, it's really the part that, or even just reading the book as a whole made me feel, um, it did make me feel hopeful in the sense that, um, you know, even just the, what you, the three of you as editors envisioned with this book and even what the contributors shared, um, with their ideas and their hopes and their dreams. And it's just like we, or the three of you, but also collectively we're envisioning and creating this space. So I think that's, that was one of my biggest takeaways from the book and, you know, how can we enact these in different, how can we enact this in different ways, in different ways or change, um, you know, uh, social standards um, that are placed upon mothers and mothers of color. Uh, single mothers, you know, low-income mothers. And um, it kind of reminded me of uh, what uh, Maya and I were talking in the car where she was kind of sharing, comparing, comparing and contrasting her experiences uh, as a mother in the United States versus overseas. So I don't know if you wanted to um, 
kind of talk about yeah, the differences. I, I feel really fortunate that I got to raise my daughter in North Africa versus raising her in um, the States. Because... Um, or in Europe even, because um, one of the things that I was really graced with was to, for all of the, and there are major issues around gender and women uh, in Egypt, which is in Cairo where I raised her from the age of one to the age of six. One of the things I was really, really blessed to have was to live in societies where mothering was expected of women, and that meant active mothering, that meant active caretaking in public spaces. So as I was saying before, you know, even during the Egyptian revolution, I had my daughter out with us in the streets. I had her at organizing meetings. You know, she would just be playing. She was three years old when the Arab Spring started, and she would just be playing, you know, in the background with other people. And we'd be sitting here having a conversation, and then, you know, someone else would play with her for a while. And then I, I could, I was given, I was expected to have her, you know, and I was expected, she was expected to be part of the space. And when I didn't bring her places, people would ask where she was, because um, they actually wanted her to be there. So I was also given the messaging that she was invited and welcome. And um, even for, I mean, there was a joke. I was, uh, China and I were hanging out with a friend of mine who, uh, who I was with during the Egyptian revolution. And she was one of our just many babysitters who would just come by and like, I'd want to go out to the streets to do like, you know, activism or just, you know, hit the streets and like do documentation. And she'd come by for a few hours after she was done being out in the streets, come up to the apartment, play with Teresa for a few hours, watch a movie and I could go down. We had, there was, I mean, and and in that sense, we were actually like creating community. For me, the revolution was, revolutionary community was about creating those kinds of spaces and those being expected and, you know, those being uh, valued and that my work was valued and that my work as a mother was valued and that it was valued in showing that, that showed that I could be a good organizer, that it wasn't one or the other. So... Yeah, I was actually quite surprised when I had to come back to the West and I found out that um, it turns out if you want to do like political organizing, you, you better have like a lot of resources because your child should be like not seen and not heard and really not around. That's really how it should be. But um, but I also wanted to say on the topic of having, you know, been a single black mother, a single queer black mother, um, still am, um, I, I, I think that there is a lot to be said for the amount, for just trying to see how to say this, for all of my, you know, hope for the future and all of my, of all of the experiences that I've had, like living with mothers and living with other single mothers and being able to organize with them and so on and so forth. I think that even with all of that, the amount of emotional work and the amount of emotional trauma that you take in, I don't think we have any real, like, active response to it. I don't think that we have. When I, I see like mother after mother after mother kind of just falling between the cracks and people who have what would have looked like from the outside a lot of support. And I don't think that we've done the kind of psychological work and the type of communal, I mean communal psychological work and the kind of communal psychological healing that allows for mothers to be able to do the kind of work that they envision doing as mothers and as and, and not just for their own children, but for communities in general. And I'm so glad you have Afini Shakur, who is one of my ultimate um, uh, heroines. Um, my father was a Black Panther here in California, so I have I've always had a great love for that work. And I think that um, as much as that song, Dear Mama, can still make me tear up, to be honest, 20 years after it came out, I think it does speak to the kind of like trauma that comes from being black and being a mother and being expected to hold all of that to yourself and still trying to do communal work, you know? And I think that there's so many mothers who I, it, 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 I feel like there was a great loss, a great break that happened. And, and I feel like a lot of that was placed onto, during the Black Power Movement and during the 70s and the 80s especially, was placed onto Black mothers, the idea that if you could break them, you could break the entire movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually, unfortunately, incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. So and I don't know if the Black communities have actually, like, actually recovered from that, you know. So I would put that out there as well. I think um, what 
what you've all kind of been speaking to is making um, revolution mothering, being motherful, um, you know, taking back public spaces or even, you know, spaces like a bookstore or, you know, just anywhere we go, you know, children should be welcome in any space all the time, anywhere. And this is ideal, but this is not the reality. And um, and so, you know, I was really interested, uh, Maya, when you were talking about um, the way that you were expected to have your child with you and it just was no issue and they wanted to know where she was as opposed to, um, you know, I think for a lot of reasons or maybe um, my own specific positionality as a PhD student of color, a single mother, um, where um, if I if something happens with childcare and I have to bring him to campus, which I have done in the past, it's like I'm seen as a bad mother, I'm seen as a bad student. So, but then again, there's no resources for childcare, <laughs> and you know, as you were saying earlier, Maya, like I'm supposed to magically somehow have resources for childcare, but the university or the institution doesn't do anything at all <laughs> to help me. Um, and. And, you know, so again, I think it's it, uh, even in that specific space as a, in academia as a PhD student, it, you know, it is reflective of um, the isolation of mothers across, you know, across uh, all workplaces, right? And, um, and so it's really, so how, you know, so I think, um, Alexis, you were talking about this earlier, you know, taking back public spaces and being celebratory and, you know, how do we integrate um, children into, um, whatever workspace we are in, whether it's academic or uh, whether it's um, organizing spaces, you know, how do we really make this change, you know, on this structural scale? But, you know, as we know from women of color feminism, the personal is political. So um, so I do think that these uh, types of, you know, or even just modeling how to even do it can be really impactful, even though I've just have got I'm sure we've all gotten pushback as mothers like, well, oh, your child's making noise in this space or you can't be here. You're not allowed to be here, whether that someone telling you that or whether that means like lack of resources. So um, uh, another question that I had kind of also related to that is um, China in one of your pieces, you talk about how you talk about being low income or being um, or uh or poverty, or even kind of what that does, you know, as a mother, because most most of the poor in our country are mothers and their kids, or, you know, I think this was also mentioned in the book. So, um, and China, you use the phrase, uh, poverty is violence. So I just wanted to hear um, a little bit more about how how you're seeing this, you know, how that impacted your mothering, and, um, and what you see of the relationship between um, class and mothering, or even just poverty in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in the in that foreword of the bottom line, I talk about how in writing I don't see a lot of writing that's set in the current tense. Of um, there's a lot of narratives of like oh, I was poor or things were bad or we you know, but there's not. You don't often see it um, current writing, and because also you're you're struggling in that current moment with it, and also it might be like super vulnerable, even illegal or something to express what's going on. Like it is that you're criminalized. Like when you're talking about yourself, it's this simple phrase, but just saying like seen as a bad mother, you know, there's so much of motherhood that's seen as, as bad, you know, like, um, where, oh gosh, my head's also full a little bit with responding that question you asked about, like what we learn on, on tour. And I was thinking about talking to everybody like person to person those those um, and how much um, brilliance and strategy is out there right now so it's like so people that are sometimes seen as like a bad mother or like I don't want to be a mother because I don't want to be oppressed like them you know or like struggles of like trans mothers and mothers with disabilities and mothers with children with disabilities and mothers currently right now looking for work and looking for food or like or like um, with kindergartners who are being like racially profiled as terrorists or 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 the government trying to take away their children and saying that they haven't taught their children uh skills to talk because they have a concept of um this is the stories i've heard on tour of, of just that they thought that 
this family should be speaking Spanish because they're from Mexico, but they had a different indigenous language. Mm. And so they marked them down as like they were unable to communicate. Mm. Just all the struggles, you know. Um, so, I mean, so you said to ask, talk about myself, like, personally, it's like poverty where it's like, you know, I have three broken teeth right now. That's not a big deal, but they're majorly broken. And I know like, you know, it's that process of like, they don't hurt and then they do hurt and then they don't hurt. And so like eventually, you know, <laughs> they fall out or you get pulled out or it's like, you know, plumbing or when I go home, I'm going to look for a job because I lost my job. And then when there's, I have so much privilege in not having, I, I don't have a child that I'm care, caregiving for, you know, but there's still like all these messages like, well, um, that you shouldn't be do this. You shouldn't be going on tour. You shouldn't be spending this time. You shouldn't be writing, you know, you should be addressing these problems that you have. And so, um, it just so that's another thing you can feel you know the bad mother the bad mother is writing the bad mother is expressing herself the bad everything and it's like and so what I love about this book is like everything like all the these quote unquote bad mothers is like actually like they are they are the leaders that need to be listened to because they know exactly mm -hmm. what to do mm -hmm. they will tell you how to fix things people just mm -hmm. need to listen to them all the strategies are in place mm -hmm. and um, and centering that instead of like this is this is actually like the survival this is how we're going to turn things around so like all these points of like where you think it's like you know the most uh, well there's yeah there's a lot of pain and oppression there but it's so much resistance there mm. so so um, so that's kind of um, I'm sorry, it's hard sometimes to talk with somebody asked you a question and then your brain's still thinking of things that mm -hmm. they were saying before. Mm -hmm. So my head was stuck there a lot about thinking about just that person-to-person -person communication and all the places that we are impacted. You know, mm -hmm. every single place that you are struggling is also a place of resistance, is also a place of survival, is also... And in the book, when I wrote that line about poverty is violence, it's just because... Um, oh, I'm going to find it. I also said, um, you know, there's different kinds of poverty. <laughs> there's like I also said there's just normal poverty there's like okay poverty you know where it's like you have enough to eat it's like um there's uh and then there's poverty of just being you know completely isolated and having no resources um not having like not having the community resources and 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 being so scared and and shamed that you can't um it's hard to explain but you know I think everybody who experiences it knows it <laughs> mm -hmm. You know it when you feel it, and this is this is a uh, this is the end. Yeah, I'll read the part of the end of that introduction. Um, I said, what pages? It's on page eighty-four. Okay. Um, this was like introducing the bottom line. Um, I said, still, poverty is violence. Poverty is crushing violence. Poverty is current. Poverty is now. Now is resisting poverty. Poverty is not the only pain. Pain is despair. Despair is hopelessness. Children are hope. Hope is the current changing moment, living, rising, being born, resisting, existing in poverty. There are different kinds of poverty, the kind that crushes, that kills, and the kind that is ordinary, everyday, enough, still, home. Growing from little, we have a lot. That's so. That's really beautiful, um, and I think uh, it. Just my own res my own personal response to it is, um, you know, uh, I grew up very poor. So my mom and dad are Mexican immigrants, and we like barely even had enough for like utilities, even like month mm -hmm. to month. Or like my dad was unemployed a lot, and um, he worked in the fields, and uh, he was also a construction worker. And then he got injured at work, so then you know that was the main income, and. Um, and so, you know, when I think just personally, when I think back to my childhood, I'm just like, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> and um, and I think of like, so it, even just my own childhood, like growing up in poverty, it was really difficult, like not knowing what was going to happen like the next day. Right. But um, but also, um, you know, kind of, you know, even just existing, as you've, you've also said in different parts of the book, um, is kind of like a testament to that we still even exist or what um, Alexis talked about in her piece. Um, so, um, so, so thank you. I mean, I just, I loved all of the pieces um, in the book. And I think fine, we're coming up to the hour. So I think the last question that I had was um, also related to the tour. So, and 
what has anything surprised you so far about the uh, reception of the book or what you've experienced so far on the book tour? And a second question related is, um, what do you vision for now that you've kind of now that there has now that the book's been released and you're doing the book tour? Um, and from what you've seen so far or experienced so far, what do you envision for Revolu Revolution Mothering in the future? So, like, where do you see this project going? Um, maybe it will go in different ways. So. I haven't really been uh, that. Okay, so to be said, I didn't have a lot of expectations for the tour because my biggest surprise is I'm more surprised by the states. Like, I'm more surprised, I think, in general, coming back to the West and seeing just how living in like a country and living in countries that are third world and are lesser developed and aren't supposed to have, don't have the kind of resources. I'm amazed at, I'm constantly, constantly, constantly amazed at how hard the struggle is for mothering in supposedly the empire, like in mm -hmm. the center of the empire where all of the resources of the world have kind of like been thrown in that still it's still this you know it's still this incredible struggle you know and I, I was brought up by a single mother and became a single mother so yeah um and as for like the future of this tour I mean so that so I just want to say that for a second that that I just want to acknowledge like that that it's hard you know um that it's really hard and that it's not and that I think in some way in our heads we tell ourselves oh but I live in the states so it must be harder for everybody else you know like in some way we we do the whole, well, what about those children who can't eat in China kind of thing? Like, we do that mm -hmm. to ourselves to sort of alleviate, that, to make up this sort of idea. And um, that's not true. I think, I think in a lot of ways that's not true. And I mean, I lived in southern Mexico. I lived in um, Cairo. I lived in Messina, which is really, which is a lower, I mean, has very low standards of living in the Sinai. Um, I was in the Congo for a while. Um, and it, those are really difficult situations and there are structures created because of because there hasn't been because colonization hasn't worked its full magic over it that still have structures that allow for people to raise their children in ways that I think are healthier psychologically healthier in many ways even with poverty even um, with uh, war than for people here in the states because they don't have the same sense of isolation and they don't have the same sense that it sh that they have to do everything by themselves for themselves and that poverty is their own fault i think that, that there's, there's there are just differences but the other thing i would say is that my my deep abiding hope is that going into the future that this book is helping to seed communities in which people are actually beginning to come together and create those sort of like resources i would i would love for people to stop thinking of themselves as living in the first world i would love for them to start thinking in terms of like how are we actually going to survive this like we're not going to survive this because we're in this country you know we're not going to survive this because we have because we supposedly have a certain standard of living that a lot of people aren't actually living on. I would instead, you know, I think about the communities of mothers that I've gotten to meet where they don't have a lot of resources, but what they definitely have is pulled together. What they do have is childcare. What they do have is communal acceptance of mothering. Like I've, I sat in the Congo with the woman who runs the city of Goma, which is huge. It's a huge city in, in East Congo. And she was sitting there breastfeeding her child while she was having a meeting with us. You know, like, I feel like that just is, that, that makes it so you need less economic resources on one hand, because she didn't have to pay someone else to do that labor for her. She was at least allowed. So that is actually my hope, is that people can become inspired to actually create communities of survival. Because I feel like coming in the next, I mean, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. Like, coming in the next, yeah. coming in the next um, few decades, we're going to have to have created, like, alternative resources um, in order to survive as mothers. And Alexis or China? Yeah, I mean, I'll just add that I really love, I love the process of sharing this book. And I feel like it, it is what China was saying, like this book has, we had all of these hopes related to it. But I think that it really has proven itself to be a technology of of collectivity and of, um, in Durham, sometimes we say a tribe, tribe recognizes tribe, but it's like tribe finding tribe, right? So I, I think that 
meeting the other the contributors of the book that I hadn't met before to me is a way of being like, oh, wow, we we are um, we are gathering ourselves in a particular way and also reconnecting with the people who I have known more through zines and more through blogs and writing back and forth, but actually doing things together in the world has taken it to a different level and has taught me something about what collaboration can mean and what can happen. And I love the way that I've seen people sharing the book. Like I love that you all have this reading group. And so you all are using it as a technology to deepen your relationships, but explicitly on this topic in this way with these different resources and then adding your lived experiences to it and adding all of the um, stories and intergenerational knowledge that you know to it. I also love seeing that people people hear about this book and they think of someone, you know, like they think of someone who's connected to them. They, they identify themselves like, Oh, I'm that right. I'm doing revolutionary mothering. And if they don't identify with it, or even if they do identify with it, they're like, Oh, and these are the people who have revolutionarily mothered me. Mm-hmm. Because to me that, that that's exciting and hopeful to me because we are facing some serious, serious stuff as Maya just said. But the thing about it is that that aspect of us, like that connectivity aspect of us that we're calling the revolutionary mothering practice has never been stamped out. Like it has continued to mm-hmm. exist. Um, and that that's, that's really exciting and really hopeful and that there is a lot at stake, you know, and that there is a major toll that the attack against mothers and the isolation around mothering has had, including um, you know, a recent suicide that we just learned about from um, from um, a loved one in Baltimore who who was talking about like what does it mean for um, what does it mean for people to be facing this alone and not feel like they can reach out like the real life and death cost of the isolation that Maya was talking about are really real and at the same time I'm hoping that this book can make us visible to each other in a particular way that allows there to be more support, more connection, more visibly reaching out. And I really thank the contributors to the book for being so vulnerable with their stories, right? As you said about the personal being political, people shared some of the most intimate moments of their mothering practice, of their of their self-doubt, of their learning, of their growth. And they did that as an offering so that more people could feel less isolated and share where they're really coming from and mm-hmm. not have to pretend and put on this facade. And so I, I'm really grateful for that. And I think that the book is working in that way. And what I see for the future is just more of that, more of our connectedness to each other and more of our brave honesty about what it takes to make our lives and the lives of the people we love possible. That's, that's really beautiful. I think I really loved, um, so you said earlier, Alexis, about um, celebrating mothers and motherhood and being motherful. And th- there were some pieces in here who maybe talked about, um, I don't know if we'd call it uh, their um, like fa- failures, but in the sense of like placing it in the context of like institutional racism or uh, the there's a, a, a contribution in here by a mother whose son, if I remember correctly, he was um, in the youth in like juvenile... The t- um, Vivian piece, Mothering. Yeah. Yeah, and he's going through, like, the GB system. Yeah, the juvenile hall system. So um, so that's what I appreciate about the book. It's just it kind of has, like, a full spectrum of instances where we, we can celebrate ourselves or as mothers, but also... It, you know, putting back, putting ourselves back into the context of like institutional racism and anti-blackness and police brutality and all of these systems, you know, where um, where you know children of color or black and brown youth are, you know, funneled into these larger systems. And what happens when that happens to you, or what what when that happens to a mother is it's not it's not an individual failure. It's like this whole system that's set up in this way to take right. black and brown kids. Um, so I, so I really, so that's one thing, um, you know, responding to, um, uh, what's good about looking at the full spectrum of motherhood. So I really do appreciate that because sometimes, um, you know, I feel like, you know, I have a bad day or I yelled at my kid or, you know, something like that where I'm, then I judge myself like, oh, I'm a terrible mother. And, um, so I think it's just even really just having that affirmation 
as a communal, as a community. And, you know, and I think this book is just making, even through the book tour or the responses that you've seen so far is kind of making these connections and interventions. Um, China, what do you kind oh, of I, I would just like to add one thing that I think the word, um, like we were talking about um, stories in the book, it's called like truth telling, you know, it's mm-hmm. truth telling. And we all feel like revolutionary failures sometimes. <laughs> and especially raising a teenager, it's really brave to say what's going on, you know. Um, oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. I was just going to say the word like truth telling um, and that, you know, we're trying to reflect each other as beautiful and um, and oh, I think <laughs> I think I ran out of things to say. I'm sorry, because I forgot what the question. Oh, um, how do you see, or since the book's been released, just the future of Revolutionary Mothering as a mm. book project? But mm. where do you kind of envision it going? It's like we're still in the middle of it, like st- of the middle of it. But yeah, I guess just of that reflection of 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 uh, seeing each other reflected as beautiful and revolutionary and um, in all in all our glory as well as struggles and that um, this book really represents so many communities and all the work that's been going on. And so we're just giving a little bit back to people, um, hopefully, um, and that it just will keep keep going. More books. There needs to be more writing, more living, more more everything like <laughs> I shouldn't be the last one who speaks on this topic <laughs> yeah well I mean I mean thank you it's just this is an incredible book and it's definitely making an impact even here um in Boyle Heights so um so right now even this so we're recording here in Boyle Heights in LA which is right adjacent to downtown LA so um we're here uh we're this community is under the context of uh, gentrification so it's actively mm-hmm. ongoing so um so already i've kind of seen in my network of mothers of color how this book has really kind of spoke you know putting ourselves in context of all these struggles of mothers of color around the world so um it's definitely making an impact here and you know so thank you all again we re- really appreciate um the important work that you're doing and and i really hope that we can you know kind of build together in all of these different ways um, and thank you for, you know, it's had an impact here and it's going to continue. And um, so just two quick announcements before we end. So tomorrow, um, if you're in the L.A. area, the Revolutionary Mothers, um, Maya and China will have a book talk also with a contributing writer, Fabiola Sandoval. So go check it out. That's tomorrow at 630. Um, it's hosted by Affirm, a transnational women of color feminist organization. And um, so I'm going to attend that, too, with some of the other mothers from Chicana Mother Work and some of the book club members. And um, so go support Revolutionary Mothering. Buy it from your local bookstore. <laughs> and uh, second announcement is um, on May 10th, um, the Mothers of Color in Academia, the UCLA, will host a rally at UCLA. And they have a list of demands, but essentially they're demanding an equitable university. So, um, oh, yes. I just want to say we're also going to be at the Orange County Book Fair. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. And, and what was the date for that? On uh, this Saturday. Yes. This Saturday? Okay. Yeah. And we might even be here at Espacio 1839 uh, because Michelle Gonzalez will be here reading her book, which is called Tales of... Spitboy. Spitboy. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of, 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 of Spitboy. Go for it. Drummer? No, I know. Anyway, she's awesome, is my point. (laughs) And hopefully we'll be here reading with her as well on Saturday. Okay. Perfect. And um, so definitely check out these events. Um, And also um, on May 10th, we hope to see um, any LA supporters or allies at the rally at UCLA um, to, you know, demand social justice from, and, uh, you know, uh, resources from UCLA. So, um, Christine, who is here now, she's one of the organizers for the Mothers of Color in Academia at the UCLA. So definitely go support them on May 10th. Um, lastly, just shout outs, shout out to my friend Nathan, who came and helped with the transportation to pick up Maya and also my son from school who got out at Mm. one o'clock. And now he's bringing him back to the studio. Um, and also Marco, who's right here with us uh, for helping with the technology and getting us set up with um, Alexis to join us on the phone. And um, anyone else? Um, 
to Billy, my host, that is going to meet us for lunch, who's been taking such good care of me and like nurturing me so I feel rested on this tour. Nice. And <laughs> how about you? Any shout outs, Maya? At first to you, thank you so much for hosting yes. us here. It's yes. been so lovely. Thank you. And secondly, of course, I have to give my shout out to Jeanette, who is um, doing really amazing work in Honduras and has been hosting me. And um, she's, she's, also, she's also going to Venezuela this summer. Um, she spends half her time in Venezuela, half her time in Honduras, and like lives in LA. So she has been incredibly educational to me about what's happening on this side of the world. And I, she'll hear this sooner or later, and then she'll hate me for bringing up her name. <laughs> and Alexis, any shout outs? Yeah, for sure. Definitely to Oluko, who um, is our sister comrade in Baltimore, who just has given so much love to the book and mm. to the tour. And also to Malkia and Terry, who are contributors to the book, and their birthdays are this week. Really, really grateful for both of them and their genius and their lives. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, so it looks like we're out of time, but um, you know, thank you again, Alexis, China, Maya, Marco, Christine. Um, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Um, we look forward to building more with you and. Um, that is all for um, today. Um, Alexis, we're going to, um, yeah, so we're going to um, end the podcast, but um, we're going to still keep you on the phone, Alexis. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. <laughs>